Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain. Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes. Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery. Well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store. Like now, go. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello and welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Jack Evans, one of Bike Radar's digital writers. And today I'm joined by... Ash Quinlan, Senior Technical Editor, and Simon Bromley, Senior Technical Writer for Road. And we're going to talk about why the perfect power meter doesn't exist. But before we begin, please remember to like, share and subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any feedback for us, please drop us an email at podcast at bikeradar.com. But before we get going, how, how are you, Ash? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, not too bad, Jack. How are you? I'm very, yeah, very well, thanks. What have you been up to recently? What's, what's yeah. been on your slate? Yeah, we just um, we published, um, this This will be a couple of weeks um, after this podcast goes out, but just um, reviewed the very nice indeed Canyon CFR Axis, which is their premium endurance road bike, but it's also very racy. I, I enjoyed writing that and, um, well, riding the bike as well. Um, what about you, Simon? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. I have... Uh, had a, recently had a couple of weeks off, but um, also just kind of recovering from the month of July still, which was jam-packed full of hot Tour de France content, which of course, you know, now in the rearview mirror and completely irrelevant to everyone. But if you did miss any of that, it's well worth going back and having a look over all the Tour content that we published because there was some good stuff this year. You might want to hurry up with that. It's going to be September by the time this well, goes out. Well, that's fine. You know, it's, <laughs> you know... I, what can I do? Exactly. <laughs> you can yeah, always yeah. you can always revisit it. There were there were lots there were lots of new bikes that emerged, and um, recently Ash has just reported on the the specialised um, tarmac SL8, That's and right. um, yep. 
you had a first ride review and will you be reviewing that bike for us fully? I will be reviewing it um, quite soon, actually. I think it, it, by the time this podcast goes out, I think I will already have it and will be uh, be riding it. Um, but yeah, the first indications were that it's a, it's a very, very good all-round race bike and there's not really much else to say about it. Um, there was a, there's a little bit of um, what could be described as hyperbole around some of the claims of the bike and whether or not that actually translates to as much speed as you might think based on the headlines is certainly up for debate. Um, I'm a skeptic, um, but um, having ridden it already, yeah, it's fast. It's now very light. It's also pretty compliant where you need it to be. Um, all those things that you really want. So um, yeah, go and check that out in the meantime on bikeradar.com, and uh, you'll have a full full review uh, in the coming months. Yeah, I look forward to reading your your full verdict. And Simon, I can tell it's coming into the end of the summer because the first indoor trainer has landed in the shed of the season. <laughs> uh, which is where our test products arrive. So, um, yeah, is that are there? Are there even more indoor trainers coming out for you to test? Uh, I mean, this is the only one that we have had so far. But you know, you never know, and I'm sure there'll be more products. And actually, I'm looking forward to uh, finally unboxing the uh, the our test sample of the new Zwift Play, which is the kind of you know Xbox slash PlayStation style controller for Zwift and so that'll be interesting but you know I'm kind of hoping to hold out you know if September's sunny I'm hoping to hold out on any proper indoor training testing until maybe you know the rainier months of October. Yeah I did ride my indoor trainer once on a really really wet September um, a really really wet Saturday rather recently but yeah hoping not to do that until Maybe I need to do some really high quality VOT max intervals for hill climb season <laughs> going into October, but until then, try and put it off. It feels wrong, doesn't it? When you do it, you think it's just only, it's, no, it's August. I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, I, I don't feel so bad for early morning sessions. I, I, sometimes I do like to train before work. And um, yeah, when it's dark, I think that's, sure. that's a good time to do it on the turbo sure. trainer. But Simon has, has tested lots of indoor trainers, but he's also tested lots of power meters. And our, um, so he's our power meter kind of. Power meter expert, cognoscente, you might say. <laughs> Guru. Consiglary. Um, yeah, all that stuff. Whatever you call him, Simon. Hoarder. Hoarder. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> how many Is that the first own? question? Is that the first question we need to ask you? How many do you have at the moment? Uh, I, I mean, I probably have too many to count. You know, in, in my defense, okay, let me, let me have a I've got four on the windowsill of of the kind of spare room which my office and then there's a set of power meter pedals on a box to behind me within that box there's another one there's another set there's another power meter on my time trial bike which is it also in that room um if you count it there's a smart trainer which also contains a power meter there's them there's there's another one on my giant tcr downstairs so Nine. Yeah, so there's nine, and you know there would be more. Oh no, actually no, because I got another one. Someone sent one to me. Okay, recently, ten. A left only round ten. Meter. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, but in in my, yeah, too, <laughs> in too many, too many, <laughs> too many. But in in my defence, you know, I I do hold on to them for testing purposes, as as kind of Jack says that when when we you know when we get a smart trainer to test, part of that is testing the internal power meter of that smart trainer, and it's useful to have. Uh, a number of different kind of data points so sure, that if yeah. you know if it doesn't match up to you know the kind of parameters that I'm using to test it I can swap on another one recheck recheck and recheck and just just be sure so that when we tell you that uh, you know a, pa- a smart trainer or a, a power meter provides accurate data you, you can you know our wonderful audience can trust that we have actually checked 
And Simon produces these wonderful graphs um, for bike credit articles where you can check the um, the accuracy, and it's, they make for quite interesting reading because you can yeah you can see what the pedals are saying, what the um, what the indoor train is saying. But let's uh, turn the cranks back a few rotations and explain what is a power meter. So a, a power meter is a measurement device uh, that measures the power you are producing when you when you pedal when you turn the pedals so um essentially they are you know power is energy over time so they're measuring torque as in the kind of force that you are putting through the crank and they are multiplying that by your cadence which gives you time obviously you know 90 rpm or whatever and that 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 gives you a kind of a wattage figure that gets sent to your head unit you know it's just telling you literally how hard you're pushing the pedals but in a discrete number you know and obviously from that, you you can use that for various things. You know, obviously, most traditionally, people use it to kind of maybe set a kind of threshold power level and then determine their training zones. But you know, you can go further beyond that and use it for 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 testing things as well. You know, you, you know, off, often you know you might have heard of riders doing kind of aero testing at a track, for example. And a power meter is a crucial thing for that because you know if you're riding around a track at you know 45k an hour or whatever and you want to know if product a is faster than product b well if it requires less power with product b you know it looks like that's a faster product yeah there's there's also the ability to test different aerodynamic positions on the bike you could be in a really aero position but you can't produce the power in it so there's that use um there's also um total um calorie burn which uh, work on a power meter is measured in kilojoules, which with a bit of jiggery pokery actually translates almost one-to-one into calories burned. So if you're um, wanting to, to make sure you consume ad- adequate carbohydrates on rides, having a power meter is also really useful. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And 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 for that for that reason, as you say, because you're tracking you know, the energy expenditure of your ride, it's also a really useful tool for tracking you know, longitudinal training load and things like that. And so, you know, traditionally you would use, you know, you know lots of of uh, lots of free tools such as Garmin Connect or you know Strava has this on its premium tier or you could use a, a you know, kind of open source software like Golden Cheetah for example you know you, you can give these these programs all of your data and they'll kind of plot your training load on a graph and, you know, if you were to plot mine at the moment it would be be careering downhill faster than <laughs> faster than Tom Pidcock but um but you know, if you're a diligent trainer like yourself, Jack, then then you know you would see those numbers forever rising. Uh, what about you, Ash? Do you use a power meter on your bikes or indoor trainer? Uh, I do for both, yeah. Um, but I don't make the most of it, um, and I suspect I'm probably in a camp where you know I probably represent a lot of people there where I've got a power meter. I like looking at the numbers; they're a good guardrail for how hard I'm pushing, how hard I need to push. For, even for structured sessions, um, uh, when I'm doing a you know a, an indoor session, for example, in the in in the winter, and yet I'm probably not maximizing my use of it. In that they are just numbers at the end of the day, and um, I'm just as likely to ignore them as I am to sort of take stock of them. Now, now you could argue that's a good thing. Like I'd all be running my bike on numbers all the time, and that you know you've got all those arguments around racing, whether it makes it boring, all that stuff, and that's a whole other conversation. But for me, I've got I've got the data, um, but may, I maybe don't make the most of it. Um, so that's kind of something I'm actually looking to address this autumn, uh, while I look to have a really good year next year. But you know you've got to put the work in early. So hopefully that you know I think it's a tool 
but tools are only as good as the people using them and the knowledge being put into using them. Mm. Yeah, on the uh, theme of knowledge, um, far more authoritative experts than us have spoken about power meters on the um, Bike Radar podcast. So someone I've spoken to, um, Coach Jacob Tipper, which we'll link to in the show notes as well. I've spoken recently spoke to Tom Bell about training with power. So if you want more information, do check out those episodes. Um, Simon, when did power meter technology develop? So, uh, so power meter technology developed in the late '80s by uh, a company called uh, SRM. Uh, you know, obviously, SRM is a very famous power meter brand now, but they created the first one in 1987, and it was a spider-based power meter. Now, funnily enough, um, you know, the, as you say, like the kind of topic of this podcast is the perfect power meter doesn't exist. Well. You know, when SRM were creating their first power meters, they trialed a number of different things, such as axles, pedals, cranks, crank spiders, for example, and they settled on a uh, a crank spider, which we'll kind of come to in you know very very shortly, I think. But you know, it, essentially, what I think they were kind of exploring early on is that there are you know there are a number of different places where it's possible to to measure power output on a bike, but there are compromises to all of these things. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Awaken your senses with a curiously refreshing Hendrix Cucumber Lemonade. Curious how? Cue the aroma. Marvelous. Cue the taste. Magnificent. Cue the cucumber. That's the refreshing secret. Hendrix is uncommonly crafted with cucumbers, roses, artistry, and imagination. Other gins are ordinary, but Hendrix is refreshingly curious. Discover Hendrix Gin cocktail recipes at HendrixGin.com. Please drink the unusual responsibly. Hendrix Gin, 44% alcohol by volume. Bottled and imported by William Grant Sons, New York, New York. Copyright 2024. Yeah, and why is it? What is it about that that makes it hard to choose the right power meter? Or, in fact, is there the right power meter? Well, like I think that's the thing. You know, essentially, like there is kind of no one bike to rule them all, right? We, you know, often it's a kind of common marketing thing, or you know, something that you know we might have written before that you know X bike is a is a quiver killer or something. You know, there can be a certain level of versatility to them, but ultimately, the requirements of you know, say mountain biking, for example, are very different to the requirements of a time trial. Uh, you know, if we're talking about, you know, a, a spider-based power meter, for example, you're going to need vastly different chain ring sizes. <laughs> and so just even even there, you, you can see that that having a, a spider-based power meter that works well on your cross-country mountain bike is not going to be potentially much use for a time trial bike, you know, and and so you know, as as things get closer together, you know, there's there's obviously more crossover, right? So a crossover between gravel and mountain biking, for example, you know, you might be able to make one work for the other, but 
you know, there may be an element of compromise there. And likewise, between you know, a road and a gravel bike, you know, you might be able to make it work, but there may be an element of compromise there as well. And obviously, you know, if we were talking about what's the perfect power meter, that suggests that there is no element of compromise. Mm. Would you be able to run us through um, spider-based power meters before we get onto some of the other types like crank-based and pedal-based power meters? Yeah, so spider-based power meters are, uh, as I kind of just said, like the original uh, kind of power meters. Now, what we would ex- what we uh, you know, would recognize as an SRM, for example. Now, uh, it it doesn't look like you know a spider in the sense that it's got eight legs and a little scary and sits no. on a nest, but it uh, sits on a on a web. But it it, it sandwiches between the uh, the chain rings and the crank arms. So you know it, it replaces a chain ring spider, for example. Um, now. That's that's quite a good place to measure power in a sense. You know, you're measuring it kind of like quite close to the source of the power, you know, close to your legs. It's upstream, you know, so you don't have to deal with kind of things such as uh, frictional losses from your chain, for example. Um, there's plenty of real estate there as well, so you don't have to miniaturize things too much. Now, this was especially true kind of back in the day when these were you know, just ex- exclusively targeted at professional riders who mm. were using big chain rings. So that meant there was a lot of, a lot of room in be- between the crank and the uh, and the chain rings, for example, you know, it allows you know with all of these power meters, you need space for accelerometers potentially, or like magnet reed switches. You need you know um, strain gauges, you know, batteries, all all of these things. And so, you know, these as we have seen in recent years with things such as pedal based power meters, which we'll come to shortly, these things can be miniaturized. But you know, as with anything, making something smaller and fitting it into a smaller place, you know, the that that inevitably has an element of compromise. And what about um, crank-based power meters? Do they ha- still have some of the downsides of um, spider-based alternatives? Well, so one of the advantages actually that crank-based power meters have is because if you have two, uh, you have two crank arms, obviously, and if you have a power meter on each crank arm, you know you're measuring again very close to the source of the power. You know your 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 kind of legs, so there's not too there's not going to be too many kind of losses in the system there. But you're also measuring each leg independently. And that enables you to get a very accurate picture of what your legs are doing. Whereas with a spider-based power meter, they are just measuring kind of total power from each side and they're not really able to split it out. Now, certain brands, uh, Quark, for example, does this and Power to Max 2, they they estimate left-right balance, but it is an estimation based on a kind of very simplified uh, picture of left-right. And it kind of assumes that from you know, 12 o'clock to 6 o'clock is your right leg and then 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock mm. is your left leg. And But that's, that's you know, if anyone, if you ever used a kind of dual leg, uh, a dual-sided power meter, you, you know, you'll understand that that's just not, that's not the way you pedal, basically. Most people start prior to 12 o'clock and then finish their pedal stroke post 6 o'clock and then there's a kind of dead zone around the back. And so yeah. splitting it arbitrarily, you know, 50-50 down the middle like that just doesn't really make sense. Now, yeah, we're kind of getting into the long reads already, which is you know, typical of a discussion about power meters with yeah, me. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> and, you know, it is debatable whether kind of, you know, accurate left-right balance data is something you want. But, you know, if you're trying to get an accurate picture of what your legs are doing and, you know, the power that you're producing, then a crank-based power meter, you know, a, a dual-sided crank-based power meter does arguably have those advantages. It also comes, you know, plenty of real estate on crank arms as well for sort of larger batteries, electronics, you know, like spider-based power meters, crank-based power meters tend to be relatively well protected from crash damage. They're not exposed to the elements, you know, because they tend to be on the inside of the crank faces. Yeah, you get a little nodule, don't you, inside normally for, for part of the design. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. And you know, take the you know, Shimano-based power meters, for example, hide the hide a nice big battery inside of the the dead space in the crank arm spindle. Yeah. You know, so so that's quite good. But then, you know, they obviously have disadvantages too, in the sense that, you know, we kind of already touched on this, but like, you know, a road-based crank might not be compatible with your mountain bike or with your gravel bike, or it might have, you know, a BCD, for example, a bulk circle diameter that isn't, you know, what you want on you know, a different bike. So, you know, there are certainly disadvantages there too. Yeah. Um, on compatibility, Ash, what kind of issues could you see arising when you're using a crank-based power meter? Yeah. So you've got your, your I think you've got your spindle diameter, you, you know, your, 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 your bolt circle diameter, your spindle diameter, that could be different. Um, there are, I, I believe there are some bottom bracket um, uh, compatibility issues as well, where some just don't work with a particular design of, 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 of a, of a um, crank-based power meter, yeah, there are there are there are there are several. Those are the three main ones that spring to mind off the top of my head. Uh, Simon will probably know if there's any if there are any extra, and there, there probably are somewhere in there. But they're the three main ones that occur to me. Yeah, and it's you know one of the downsides as well. You know, they are unless you are you know a dab hand with you know being a mechanic and removing these things from your bike. I'm certainly, despite being tech editor, it's not my forte. It's not something I would trust myself with necessarily to remove myself from a bike and then put back together with everything in exactly the right place with exactly the right torque and so on. Or at least it would take me a good day to do it. So if you're not that kind of person who doesn't want something that's attached to your bike semi-permanently, shall we call it, then that's another further downside for both for both of these power meters uh, setups. How do um, pedal-based power meters differ? Then they might be a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, so pedal-based power meters have become in kind of like increasingly popular in recent years because, you know, as as you say, the name is a giveaway. It's, it's a power meter based around a pedal system. Now, there are kind of number of options. You have, uh, you know, Garmin's Rally System, for example. You have Favero Asioma. Uh, Wahoo have recently released a, a Speedplay-based power meter option. And, you know, the kind of advantages, you know, in terms of ease of use of a pedal-based power meter is that all pedal threads, you know, 99.99% on should bikes be the same, should they? be the same. So, you know, theoretically, they are compatible with every kind of bike. And, and you know, when you say, well, it's compatible with every bike, mm. like, great, perfect power meter, right? But, you know, you can then running into the problem that not every pedal is, you know, suitable for every kind of bike. And so, you know, take, you know, Speedplay, for example, you're possibly a good, a good road pedal, but you're completely useless for any type of off-road, <laughs> really. You know, and now, you know, obviously there, there are very varying degrees of this. You know, we have seen people running, say, you know, Shimano SPD SL road pedals and gravel events before where they're not planning on doing much walking. So, you know, theoretically, yeah, you might be able to... slick one, um, uh, not this year's Unbound, but 2022 Unbound using SPD SLs. They're not dismounting much in Unbound. So yeah, they, they, some people think there's better pedal, pedal efficiency with that type of Shimano pedal, but I'm not. Ne- we're not necessarily sure that's the case. But yeah, for a more technical gravel race, you're going to want to uh, put your foot down. Yeah, exactly. Garmin makes different different types as well for its um, sort of rally system. Now, I have a, a, a rally pedal-based system. I use the RK version, the look version, but there's also a Shimano-based system where they're sort of the same internals, but you, you basically take the internals out and then put the bo- pedal body over the top of it, I believe, and you can change it should you want to for any reason. But you can buy them as a essentially buy them as a look setup, as a Shimano setup, and I believe also an SPD setup as well for, for off-road use. Um, and inside, you know, the the um, 
you know, the gubbins inside are all are all much of a muchness, all the same. You could swap them theoretically. So, you know, that you know, Garmin kind of offers that sort of modular setup, but you know, again, we haven't even talked about, you know, the main downside here is that you are always exposed to, you know, ground clearance is, is set outboard of the bike a little bit more. So if you notice that your pedals are getting scratched up a lot, that's your power meter getting scratched up a lot. And, and you know, power meters are far more expensive than standard road pedals, right? Yeah, exactly. And and that, exactly, that's the exact, exactly kind of right thing with a pedal-based power meter. Now, you know, obviously for most people, we're not kind of crashing that much, like sure. I would hope. Yeah. You know, but if, if I was a racer, then, you know, it might be something you would consider. You know, pedal strikes are not uncommon in crit races or you know, cyclocross races, for example. And I think, you know, well, with the Garmin one um, specifically, for example, I've done that swap in the sense that I've taken the pedal bodies off and put them back on because I reviewed them and I wanted to see how easy or difficult it was. Now, you know, in theory, it's a pretty simple thing to do, but you do need things like a precision screwdriver. You know, you have to have... You, know, you have to have a torque wrench, you know, you have to have socket wrenches that are the right size and things like that. And it is an involved process. It's not necessarily a difficult process, but it is quite an involved process. Mm. It's not as simple as, you know, unfreading a pedal and swapping it over to another bike. You know, when to- my when our colleague Tom Marvin tested the uh, off-road pedal body for us, because I you know, wanted to get his comments on it, sure. he also said that this the stack height of the Garmin off-road SPD pedal was slightly higher than a normal SPD pedal. And, you know, that's obviously to make space for the power meter governs yeah. inside the spindle. And so yeah. there's a bit of a compromise there. And, you know, and so it, it, it's it's not, you know, like, as far as I'm concerned, the Garmin Rally is an excellent power meter that measures power exceptionally well. And it's actually one of the ones that I, well, I actually have a set of Garmin Vector 3 power meter pedals. Oh, the which, predecessors. Um, yeah, which are essentially the same. They're the look version, but they, mm-hmm. you know, I think they're a very solid option. But it's tricky because, yeah, like if I get a gravel bike, it's not, you know, would I buy a set of the SPD bodies to go on that gravel bike? Yeah, potentially. But I don't think it would be something that I'd want to be switching between very often. It would be maybe a once a season thing. Yeah. And it's, uh, you know, it's more money put into the system that might have been considered cheaper than, a say, a crank set with the chain rings attached for example. So you're adding more money to the pedal-based system anyway, and it's still exposed. It's not like, you know, you've changed the body and suddenly it's not exposed. It's still an SPD body. Yeah, they're designed to take a bit of, you know, rocks and hits and, you know, rock strikes, all that stuff. But still, you're exposed. And if something goes wrong, you're going to have to replace that. Now, it's quite nice that you can replace it in this in this given system, but that's still, it's still a risk, right? Which pedal um, crank based or spider based power meters are the best value or is it really hard to say because there's differences across all the types i think you know it's it's it is it is, it is difficult you know dual sided power meter crank sets do tend to be more expensive because you are essentially getting two power meters you, you obviously you know conversely left left only or single sided power meter crank sets tend to be quite cheaper because you're only kind of getting one i, I would what kind might of, some examples be of cheaper power meter so, you know, in, in terms of measuring like full power and not, yeah, you know, it, this is a kind of like hotly debated thing. I'm not really a big fan of like single sided power meters because, you know, what they do is they measure one leg and then they double it to estimate your total power. And for me, that kind of is a level of accuracy that I'm not really uh, happy with in a sense. Yeah, I think if you're going to measure something, I don't really want 50% of the measurement to just be a guess. What What's the issue with doubling your left side and saying that's your right as well? Well, because your left and your right legs aren't the same. You know, your left leg is a different leg to your right leg and they're not necessarily doing the same thing. And even if your kind of balance is, you know, 
on average, say 48, 52, like moment to moment, it, it's just not consistent. And and you wouldn't know how inconsistent or how consistent you were unless you had a dual-sided power meter. And so I, I just finished this point and then I'll let you come in. But like it, it, for me, in my experience, for example, like it changes, my left-right balance can often change on my depending on my effort level. So, you know, I, I've tested with a left-only power meter before up against a dual-sided one and a trainer and seen that like at certain points, everything is fine, for example, when I'm like, you know, just kind of like idling along. But as soon as I start getting up to tempo, my right leg, which is my dominant leg, tends to, you know, kick in a bit more. And then the left-only power meter starts to read low because my left leg isn't contributing as much as my right leg, but it's underestimating that. And so, you know, and and there's just lots of different things. And obviously for certain people, if you're happy with it, you get, you know, what you feel is repeatable data, then that's absolutely fine. But for me, they're just not really a, a thing that I like. Now, I was I was going to say that, you know, my my personal experience is last year I was I had an injury which I struggled to sort of come back from by just brute force and riding my bike gradually more and more. Like I needed to go and get some sort of professional help to get it sorted. And when I was starting to ride again, having that data both sides was super valuable. Like if I hadn't had that, I wouldn't have known that I was doing 65, 35% split. Whereas normally I would have, my normal split is 52, 48. It, it just happens to be the same number as was quoted just then. But it was, it's normally 52, 48, but I was at 65, 35. And I wouldn't have known that if I hadn't, you know, like accurately, if I hadn't had a double-sided power meter. So it became really useful for me when I was recovering from in, in my my injury. Um, thankfully, I'm back to more or less where I should be right now. Uh, I think it's sort of 53.47, if you want to know. But, the you know, I'm able to see that data and I'm able to see that when, I, when I'm pedaling now. Whereas, again, I wouldn't be confident that I've actually got, I wouldn't know where the power balance is now, where, where you know, without that double-sided power meter. So I, I think it's really important from that specific point of view. Bearing in mind the risk of uh, striking a pedal, uh, riding off-road in a mountain bike um, or in cyclocross gravel, which are the most common power meters to use for off-road riding? I think, you know, not in off-road, we, t- we tend to see more spider-based power meters because, uh, as, as you say, you know, they're kind of more protected from rock strikes. You know, if you crash your bike, for example, like that, that area around the... You know, in between the cranks and the the you know the chain rings is just like it's very hard to hit that because your pedal is going to hit the floor first or your handlebar is going to hit the floor first or you, you know one of your wheels or something like that. So you tend to see that um, you know brands such as uh, Quark or you know, SRAM who owns Quark for example, uh, Powertomax also you know, I've ridden plenty of Powertomaxes. I think I think they're very good power meters generally. You know, I think in terms of like you know, bringing it back to the subject, it's, it's that it depends what you're doing. You know, you can buy. All of these measure power, these brands that I've just mentioned measure power very effectively, but it's that that kind of thing of it might be an ideal uh, power meter for a certain scenario, but it it may then also have limitations in another sense, you know. So like so some of the you know for like for example, if I have uh, I've got an older SRM power meter spider that has a 130 millimeter bcd uh, now that really the smallest chain ring size you can put on that is a 38 tooth and you know, reality because you know, no one really makes those it's a 39 mm. so it's really designed for a sort of 53 39 tooth setup and so really that's kind of <laughs> a bit obsolete nowadays especially as i'm not as fit as i used to be and so you know buying into a a, a power meter on a spider can just kind of like leave you with these you know when you know when sram updated all of its you know bcds in the last few years or you know even switch to you know, integrated chain rings on on their power meter spiders 
you know your old power meter or your you know, kind of one you one you currently have might be hard to press into use on on a on a new bike for example and that's kind of where the difficulty lies whereas then you might be tempted to go with, with pedals because yeah the pedals are compatible with any bike but then yeah you then you have to compromise with the terms of whether it's a you know you have to switch from spdsl cleats to look cleats for example and now it, you know in my experience yeah that's not a major issue for me as a road rider but i certainly think that look Kio cleats are not as adjustable as Shimano SPDSL cleats, so that might be an issue for some people. And then, yeah, like we've kind of discussed with the, um, you know, the Garmin Rally SPD pedal, or you know, I know SRM makes a kind of off-road SPD uh, pedal as well. You know, it might not be the kind of off-road pedal that you prefer, and if you have to switch pedals to get. The, the kind of power data you want on your bike, you know, there's probably going to be an element of compromise there if you're into, you know, Crank Brothers pedals or, you know, I, I don't know anything about off-road pedals, but do you know what I mean? Like if, when you're changing pedal systems, you know, Ash, you're probably familiar with this in the sense that you've had a few bike fits and some yeah. knee issues in the sense that switching pedals can can be a problematic thing. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the, it's one of the key touch points between you and your bike. Um, and it can, off, you know, there are all sorts of measurements there that it, you can play into whether you need lots of, say, you know, adjustment, a particular angle, how much float you need, all that stuff, the Q factor, um, how much spaces you can fit in between the, the spindle, although that's usually, you know, you've usually got the same amount of flexibility there. But there, there's a lot going on. But one thing I would like to point out, and I'm kind of going back to the value question I think you asked earlier, is that value really depends on your usage case and how you want to use your power meter. You know, we're talking about switching between mountain biking and road biking there, but actually, you know, it's it's equally as likely, maybe even more, that if you've got, say, two bikes and you just want one power meter to work between the two, then a pedal-based system, as long as you're not going to go gravel riding or you're not going to, you know, take any unnecessary risks, then actually having the one system you can port between the other and carry from your summer bike and just put it straight onto your winter bike, for example, could be the best system for you in terms of value. That being said, you may not you you know you may not have that concern, and therefore you only have one bike. In which case, it could be a bet, and you maybe only you ride you only ride in the summer, and then you put that bike onto the onto the turbo trainer in the winter, and you don't do winter riding for whatever reason that may be. In which case, a spider based system may be your better option because you don't have to take it off. So there's there's that to consider as well, and your usage case will will determine what's best value for you. There is one type of power meter left, which we haven't touched on, perhaps because they've fallen out of favour. And what are they, Simon? Uh, Hub-based power meters. Now, it's you know anyone who's kind of been around in cycling for a while probably remember uh, PowerTap hub-based power meters, and um, you know I think they kind of fell out of favour just because you know they had a lot of limitations. Really, now in terms of measuring power. They had very good reputations, you know, and I think you know, if you if you had if you have one today and you're still running a bike which is compatible with them, I don't think it's a bad way to measure power necessarily. But of course, having a power meter built into your hub means that you have to be using that hub, obviously, to in order to measure power on your bike. And of course, back in the days with rim brakes, when you know people often, you know, especially it was generally racers who had power meters, we would switch between training wheels and maybe then a set of race wheels because you know back in the days of rim brakes, if anyone rem- remembers those, <laughs> you know, riding your kind of wheels, you know, you used to wear them out through braking, obviously. So you tended not to like you know run your expensive carbon wheels all the time, especially because carbon wheels back then, you know, you couldn't really brake on them. <laughs> Still can't. Still can't. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> Um, but the advantage of a kind of power tap versus the kind of other commercially available options at the time, such as Quarks or SRMs, they were much, much cheaper. You know, um, back in 2011, a Quark 
uh, or sorry, a, SRA, a SRAM S975 quark power meter crankset uh, costs just under £1,750, which you know, kind of adjusted for inflation is around £2,700 in today's money. Um, whereas at the same time, you could get a, a power tap hub for around $899, which is around $1,200 or £950 in today's money. So you can kind of see that like, you know, the, the price difference was attractive that in the sense that, you know, I, I knew a few people, for example, who had a power tap training wheel and a power tap race wheel. And they just swapped between the two depending on what they were doing, you know, because you could still have those those sets of wheels and it would come in cheaper than buying, you know, two sets of two sets of wheels and an SRM. Oh, that's really interesting. And in terms of longevity and um I, I mean sort of battery life as well, which power meters are the best? So you know, again, like they, they things they re, they really range. You know, crank and spider-based power meters tend to have better pa- battery life because there's just more real estate to place bigger batteries. For example, if you have a rechargeable battery in something like a Favero Asioma power meter pedal, that has a battery life of 50 hours, which is relatively short. Now, you know, unless you're riding, you know, more than 10 hours a week, that's that's still a month's battery life. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, uh, even like for someone who's doing a lot of cycling, but it, it, you know, but like, yeah, a quark or something like that might offer 300 hours of battery life, you know, out of a single coin cell battery. Um, but, you know, Garmin, Garmin's rally pedals have uh, bigger batteries and I think they quote around 200 hours. And generally, I think that's, you know, probably what I would have experienced with, you know, with the years that I've had them, but they don't use rechargeable batteries. They use user replaceable kind of small coin, coin cells. How easy are they to get out? They're very easy to easy. get out, yes. yeah. Like, yeah, and, and to be fair, I think, you know, there are very few power meters that I can think of that are not easy to change the batteries. With a Garmin rally pedal, you just need a 4 mil Allen key. The door pops off, you pop in a new one. With a Quark, you know, has a threaded screw that you just uncover the cover, you know, power to maxes. There's a rechargeable one at the high end. And on the lower end, there's just a little rubber cover where you, you know, you take off the rubber cover, change the battery. So it's, it's generally, batteries are not much of an issue for power meters anymore. Are there any um, things to consider that if you wear if you um, wear out chain rings, having to replace a, a power meter as well? Because that's quite a large additional cost. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> so yeah, that is an unfortunate issue with um, SRAM's latest road-based power meters, mm. uh, specifically the red axis and force axis power meters, where the chain rings are integrated into uh, the power meter spider, like permanently why have they done that i i don't really know i mean i assume it's because it's lighter in the sense that you can or they they are able they, they don't really say but i think it's lighter basically and and you know the, the, the chain rings that are machined from a single piece of aluminium so both the front and sorry the front the uh the inner and outer chain ring are, are machined from a single piece of aluminium and i think this they say that that makes them stiffer mm. Yes. And then lighter as well. So it's kind of, you know, improved stiffness, less weight. For me, that seems a bit bananas. Like SRAM claims that their chain rings and chain are exceptionally wear resistant, which which may be the case. And and if you're looking after your, you know, I haven't worn out a chain ring in in a long time, you know, but I wax my chains. So, Mm. you know, if if you're looking after your bike, it's probably a non-issue. You know, SRAM does offer uh, a kind of trade-in discount. So if you do wear out your chain rings and you want to replace your power meter, well, you want to replace them, which, you know, you would if you'd worn them out, then they'll offer a discount. But, you know, it's not a kind of, it's not a swap. It's, it is a discount. And, and there are 
you know, as expected, like there are provisos to this swap in the sense that when you swap, for example, you don't get an option to change chain ring sizes. So if you wanted to, you know, go from whatever you had, like 48, 35 up to 37, 50, that, that's not an option. So there are certainly drawbacks to it. And, you know, uh, and, you know, if you had a road-based power meter, for example, with a, you know, if you, you'd opted for the 50, 37 chain ring combination, then that's not going to be much use if you then want to like swap that over to a, to a gravel bike, which has a SRAM drivetrain on it, for example. Whereas if you had, say, you know, a rotor in spider or, you know, a, a, maybe the um, the Quark D4 dub power meter spider, which has a, both of which have a, a 110 four bolt BCD, you know, there are plenty of chain rings available to those. You can pick whatever chain ring sizes you want. And when they wear out, you don't have to replace the whole thing. So, uh, you know, for me, I, f- I find it a bit baffling if I'm if I'm honest. But, you know, I mean, you know, we, we have this sort of time with the cycling industry, don't mm. we? Like, you know, the, the proliferation of bottom bracket standards for vanishingly marginal gains in, in stiffness and weight, for example. So, sure. you know, for some people, it, it's worth it. For me, it's probably a little bit too far. Well, uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Ash? Or anything to wrap up? Nothing to add to the to the say SRAM specific conversation. Mm. I don't think. And and Simon's absolutely right. If 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 you deem it worth worthwhile, then it it's probably worth doing. We do know that they record power, you know, reason, you know, not even reasonably accurately, very accurately. And, oh yeah, you know, there's, there's no performance issue here at all. No, no, Quark, yeah, Quark and SRAM power meters are amongst the like in terms of measuring power amongst the best I've tested. And you mm. know, like I, I have a Quark D4 at home. I think it's a, a fine parameter. Yeah, but no. The only thing I would I would add to the whole to the global conversation just before we sort of wrap up is, you know, you don't just see parameters in the performance uh, arena as well. And actually, we talked about hub-based parameters used for a performance side of things, where you want to you know upgrade your wheels and so on. that gets a lot very difficult. But actually, you see parameters housed in hubs for e-bikes. Where where you know you might need you know building a parameter to a slightly cheaper sort of not a cheaper standard but for for less money because we as we said they are a little bit cheaper that can help bring a cost of an e bike down a little bit compared to where it might be if you had to install a power meter on on the front of the bike and just for the record you have a power meter or some kind of strain gauge in there to record the power you're putting in so the motor can then regulate how much is coming back through the motor so. Uh, or these the brains of the system anyway. So, you know, it, there are reasons to have it, but they are slightly different. It is slightly off topic, but it is worth noting that you can get power meters inside hub systems, inside, excuse me, central motor systems, inside hub-based motor systems, and they can be used to um, improve uh, the accuracy of the, and the natural feeling of the power delivery through an e-bike. It's a different usage case. Of course it is. You know, we're not, we, you know, none of us here are e-bike riders by by definition here in, in, in this room right now, but it's worth recognizing that actually that technology hasn't died. It's probably just kind of segued into a different market and is very useful there. That's really interesting how they um, has, has reappeared in a in a in a in an assisted bike. But I think in conclusion to uh, this podcast, um, choosing the best power meter is really not easy. But it's less of a matter of choosing the best one and more a matter of choosing the least compromised option for you. And as we said, you've got to base that on your budget, your riding style, whether you're changing it between bikes, and also think about things like potentially like wear. Uh, rechargeability if you're concerned about uh, using batteries or you prefer to recharge at the mains those are all things to consider is there anything you'd like to add to that well i would almost you know always direct people to our best power meters uh, buyer's guide on bikeradar.com you know that that contains kind of uh, shortened versions of all of the 
parameters that we have reviewed. And you, of course, you can click through to the uh, the full versions if you want to see those those wonderful graphs that I produced that detail the kind of accuracy or inaccuracy of certain parameters uh, wherever <laughs> wherever they occur. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think in, in summation, like you know, for me, for example, like. I only really do road riding at the moment. Like I'm kind of gravel curious. I dabble in mountain biking when I'm at my parents and near near a trail center. But like, you know, a, a pedal-based power meter for me works really well because I'm, I'm, I'm generally just sticking to, you know, road-based activities most of the time. And when, you know, on the, on the kind of rare occasion that I, I ride off road for whatever reason, like, you know, I, I can afford to just have a day off from from power meters, as kind sure. of our colleague Tom Marvin suggested, is is wise to do with gravel. Now, of course, that does make it difficult to measure how much fun I'm having, but I can kind of I can I can guesstimate that. So you know that that's fine, really. I mean, like, how, how about you, Jack? Like, where where do you fall on the kind of spectrum of power meter choices? I've actually um, got a, a bike test at the minute, which I haven't put a power meter onto, which is the uh, Temple's road bike. Um, currently only available as a frame set, um, but it's been quite nice actually. I'm having a recovery week at the minute, not having a power meter on, so just doing some sort of unstructured riding, and it's really nice for change. But I think the biggest upgrade to my performance I made was purchasing a pair of. Uh, uh, for Vera Asiyama duos early last year, 2022. And I think those have just really sort of um, revolutionized my training. I've got a lot fitter since since using those and be, yeah, be able to see where my weaknesses are, which is explosive power because I'm not uh, I'm not I'm not great in the um, in the sprints or I can hold power for quite a long time and I'll be able to try and work on those weaknesses. And also yeah keep an eye on um, staying in zone two on long endurance rides. So I think those um, power meter pedals work really well. I can switch them between my faster bike, my Canyon Ultimate, and my sort of all-season commuter Fairlight Trail, and that works really well for me. Thanks to you both, Simon and Ash, for your time. No worries. And um, thank you, listeners, for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. Please do leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts, and we'd love to hear from you at podcast at bikeradar.com. Thanks again for listening, and speak soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends, or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode.